You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back, everyone, to the One Small Bite Podcast. I'm your host, David Orozco, and this is episode 85. I'm really excited because I have a special guest that is here with us today. His name is Aron Flores. Aron is um, a body trust certified provider. He graduated with a BS in family consumer science in 2006. He completed his dietetic internship at the VA Greater Los Angeles Healthcare System. Before becoming a dietitian, he spent about eight years as a game producer. You're going to hear that in this show, which is really, really cool. Um, you know, he realized that after a few years, he just wanted to do something different. And you'll get to hear his story, of course, in our episode. You know, he comes from very similar backgrounds as I am. And that's something that I want to try to do a little bit more. I want to bring in a little bit more of that Latino, Latinx perspective. In our world, I'll tell you, one of the challenges is is that we are seeing a lot of the diet culture coming in two directions. Of course, we have one from the westernized American perspective, white, Christian, Anglo, uh, American, English and then we have that uh, machismo or that Latin feministic approach, uh, very binary, very um, simple. And unfortunately, it's just pretty uh, all around us all the time. So uh, Aron talks to us a lot about how to maneuver around that uh, diet mentality. And you know, this is that type of podcast. This podcast is designed to help us break that diet mentality, to get past what um, weight-centric approach to the way we are faced with in our society. That, that you know, those diets keep coming and coming and coming and we are still not seeing any health benefit from it. Um, it's just not worth it. So uh, anyway, I, I digress a little bit there. I get carried away. But I just wanted to say that Roan brings a great perspective, you know, with that body trust certification. We talked about uh, Be Nourished as well. I love those folks. And of course, I'll have links to that in my show notes. And, you know, again, I, I think that one of the things is, is that we bring a, a nice perspective because especially Aron and myself, we, we grew up here in the United States and we have this Latin influence uh, and, and, it's, and it was all around us. It's been all around us. And that's something that's really beautiful because, you know, that diversity is extremely important to give and fulfill our lives, to, to put a lot of filling into our lives. And so uh, you'll hear that from Aron um, I just wanted to say that you know he he uh, he he really impressed me with a lot of things, diet culture related and body positivity. 
So tune in to hear uh, his approach and what he stands for. I think it's very, very impressive. So I just want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by our practice, TD Oneness. And uh, just a heads up, we are doing a brand switch. It will soon not be TD Wellness, but it's, that's not going to be for a while. Just wanted to give you a heads up that that will change. For right now, if you have uh, a moment, please remember to subscribe to sh- this show if you haven't already, so you can get these episodes downloaded directly to your device. And I would love for you to leave me a review because that really helps this show get out to more people and I get to hear what you want to hear. All right, let's get started with the episode. Hey, Aaron, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing well. It's good. good to be on hey. your show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was about to say, I really appreciate you coming on the show and I really thank you for taking the time. Uh, I want to get people to know you a little bit. So uh, talk a little bit about you, maybe kind of what we did a little bit off air, talk about um, where you come from and how you grew up in the United States and uh, and then what, what do you do as a dietitian, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. So basically my life story boiled down into- Yeah, you know, right. In five uh, minutes, ready, go. <laughs> Set the timer. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. I'm based out of LA and I've lived in LA- pretty much my, my whole life. I spent a little bit of time, um, in my college years in Boulder. I wouldn't college age years. I wouldn't say I was enrolled in college, but I I didn't go. Um, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, (laughs) so, um, so I've lived almost all my life in LA. I was born in Mexico. Uh, my dad is from Mexico. My mom is from uh, the United States and moved it to LA when I was two and basically lived here ever since. Uh, and and I became a dietitian when I was 30. It was my career change. I had, uh, you know, like I alluded to, I dropped out of college um, when I was in my 20s, had no direction, no clear idea of what I wanted to do, and went back to school at 30 to to pursue this career. Okay. And uh, you, I, yeah, what, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was interrupting. I was saying, yeah, no, the reason I pursued it was because of... Uh, you know, I, at that point, I was really uh, looking at this career as a as a weight loss career. Like I thought I was going to teach people how to lose weight. I thought I was going to be sort of a new Richard Simmons in some way. Uh, I thought that I haven't know, my, heard I haven't yeah. heard anybody say Richard Simmons in a long time. <laughs> yeah. So so all the folks who were like probably I don't know under thirty five or right? like who's Richard Simmons? Who's, and, yeah. <laughs> and googling it. And for folks older, and be like, oh yeah, that dude. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, but you didn't wear the shorts and the. Uh, I didn't wear tank. shorts, and I, okay, I didn't have a perm. Did <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that's sort of how I came to this work. Um, and growing up in LA um, is, you know, listen, LA is my home. I, in many ways, uh, don't like it because it's too crowded for me. But it's my home. My family's here. Um, yeah, my dad yeah. has as still lives here. My my mom still lives here. Um, and so, you know, growing up in LA and having two really like, I wouldn't say my parents got divorced when I was younger. So I would say the cultural influence of being Mexican was not as strong as the influence of my mom's side of being, uh, Jewish and, and being raised in that community. And, but like, but I always knew I was Mexican and really like, because I'm my, I'm, I'm light skinned, I'm white passing. My experience as being a Mexican American was very different than 
you know, other members of my family, like my brother who had darker skin and who was going to experience a lot more overt racism than, than I would. And so it, it really, especially in high school, right? Those are the years where you're sort of like trying to find your people. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and because of my, my, my skin color, I grew up identifying and sort of more assimilated into white culture, white culture yeah. than, than being Mexican. Yeah. Same with me. And, and so, and, and as I got older, uh, my, my, my Spanish skills were actually not that good. I growing up, right. My, my mom's fluent, my dad's fluent, but they didn't speak it in the home, uh, mm. probably cause I was embarrassed as a kid of being different, but I went back to Mexico yeah. and, and lived with my dad for a little bit. And that's where I really learned uh, Spanish probably as best I, I could mm-hmm. uh, at hearing it. And I'm not fluent, but I, I'm pretty, I can pass pretty well. And, and uh, yeah. what part of Mexico was your, did you Mexico did city, you, Mexico city. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, it, it's interesting as my career has progressed and I've become older is just seeing how like the two cultures with which I was raised in um, definitely have so much influence into yeah, how right. I see myself practicing and like seeing the differences of how these things are interpreted and applied. Um, it's really interesting to hear folks from two different backgrounds, right? my dad and my mom to talk about like their experience with diet culture and what that is like. Was, was your dad Jewish as well? No, my dad's not Jewish. Was uh, he Catholic? Uh, yeah, but I would say not practicing. Not practicing. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, my parents, my parents were uh, uh, diehard Catholics and yeah. um, zealots almost, but uh, not not in a bad way. But um, so it's interesting. So you grew up in these two worlds where you had a lot of your Mexican in, Mexican influence, and then you had, of course, your mom's American Jewish influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine that you probably celebrated uh Passover and uh Yom yep. Kippur and and a I lot mean, of the yeah, Jewish- so we did and and so I I didn't have a lot of um a religious upbringing in that experience my okay. family was very for, for a lot of reasons my mom's side of the family was very anti-religion and establishment <laughs> okay. in a lot of ways yeah, yeah. so I but I grew up with the holidays and I grew up celebrating holidays okay and just to give you an idea we would have yeah, we had Passover, we had Rosh Hashanah dinner, we yeah. uh, did Yom Kippur, things like that. But my mom's family also wanted to celebrate Christmas, right? Oh, and they wanted to like cool. give gifts. And, and and Christmas morning, my mom would make chilequiles and uh, and frijoles and and yeah. have like a really like sort of traditional Mexican breakfast yeah, for yeah. many years. Like, so yeah. I have very vivid memories of like that being mixed in, you know, even from my mom's side as well. So, so that's interesting. So you, you grew up with, I mean, wow, a good blend. And that's one of the reasons why I was curious about all of this is you grew up with a lot of different mixes of cultures and Mm -hmm. foods. That's really where I was going. So you got, you got to see a lot of the different, did you, did your mom also cook some Jewish food too? Oh yeah. Traditional Jewish foods as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and you know, we, our family would make uh, a fish from scratch, right? Which most people get from a jar. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, would make brisket and, and all the sort of traditional things, mothable okay. soup and things like that. Yeah. So definitely, uh, 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 a huge food presence from both sides of my family. I want to sure. go back to, since you're bringing back this huge food presence, I, I kind of want to piggyback to what you mentioned a little while ago. You, uh, 
changed careers in your 30s, early 30s to go back into nutrition. It's interesting because I kind of, when you said that, I was like, wow, we have very similar backgrounds here. I kind of approached it the very same way. I wasn't so much looking to lose weight as a way, but more as a way of controlling my eating because I, I knew I had oh, yeah, an eating for sure. Yeah. I knew I had an eating disorder. Well, I didn't know I had an eating disorder. Looking back, I knew I had an eating or at least a yeah. disorder eating. Um, you know, you're familiar with orthorexia, of course. Oh right? yeah. 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 I've heard and of so, it a couple of times. <laughs> so, so that was me. That was, that was, it. so yeah. I approached nutrition as, okay, I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to be great at this. Right. For That's, sure. I, exact same for me. Right. So you, yeah, when you heard that, I was like, when I heard you say that, I was like, oh, okay. This, this dude's just on the same track here. So talk to me a little bit. So you, you, uh, you changed careers, by the way, what were, what were you doing before uh, getting into nutrition? Uh, I was, in the dot-com boom of the uh, okay. 90s and okay. making and designing video games uh, over for the okay. internet okay. for like studios out here for like Disney, for Universal, uh, things like that. And then a couple like startups, mostly like kids internet games. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I want to digress and t- tell you, I career changed also. Same okay. thing in my 30s. Uh-huh. I was, I think uh, I started my program when I was 32 and uh, I used to run my family's travel agency. <laughs> oh, awesome. Totally, yeah. right? Yeah, I love totally it. Totally different thing. Totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is I did go to, uh, to, to school. I did go and get an undergraduate, but boy, that was hard. And yeah. I got a degree in biology thinking, oh, you know, I'll get into medicine or I'll get into research. Yeah. My mom's like, no, 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 you're going to come to tr- work at the travel agency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I couldn't even make it through undergrad. I just, I, yeah, I stayed yeah. home and played video games and watched Magnum PI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a killer mustache. I had one of them in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so then, uh, you got into the career, man. And so what was your, uh, transition into that world? Did yeah. you actually then pursue the whole weight loss kind of thing or how did that go for, for a good amount of time? Yeah. And this is, you know, back in like 2003, 2000. Around you know there maybe Dude, a little we've earlier. We've got even. similar pasts, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't really learn about anything other than a weight loss centered approach. Yeah. Probably until I got a maybe like a a hint of it during my my um my degree work. Mm-hmm. I got a little bit more during my internship, like but just like like I heard of intuitive eating and I tried to I actually knew of the book and I picked it up, but I never finished it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really dive into it until probably two or three years after becoming a dietitian, I was working at the VA and Elise Resch with the co one of the co-authors of mm-hmm. intuitive eating came for the like local dietetic association to speak. So it was after hours, I just stuck around and I heard her speak. And that's what sort of convinced me to read the book. Uh, and so I read the book and then emailed her and she's so just humble and nice and was like, Hey, you're local. Why don't you come to supervision? I have supervision groups once a month and you should join. And I did. And I went for a few years and that was my way of really diving into intuitive eating and both from my, for my own perspective, but also working with, with clients. And that really started the cascade of learning then about health at every size, uh, becoming a body trust certified body trust provider. 
So it was, it was a couple, it was, yeah, I would say a couple years in and I did a fair amount of paradigm straddling. I was, you know, I was actually managing and running a weight loss program for the VA and trying to sprinkle in intuitive eating into these things and realizing it wasn't going to work and that I was doing harm by doing that. I was actually harming these vets and and me trying to help them. It was not helping. And I just had to leave. I just had to like do something else. And, and so it really is a pretty drastic 180 degree, uh, yeah, course direction and how I've been practicing, but it is so much better. So hearing what you're saying there, then you, you did work at the VA for a few years. Yeah. For about seven years, seven years. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, um, that means that you did a lot of work with men, um, more so mm-hmm. than with women. Cause oh, we, yeah. 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 That's, I mean, cause the vast majority of the clients at the VA is going to be men. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting that you bring that up because that, that brings even more of a perspective why I wanted to have you on the show too, yeah. because that, that, that perspective is, is important because one of the things that I'm also trying to do is not only getting that Latino perspective, but also get that male perspective and working with men in the intuitive eating world or in this anti-diet approach, mm-hmm. it's a totally different ball game, man. It is a total, I'll give you an example. I was out with some buddies yesterday and I go biking with them quite, quite often every Sunday. And we sat down, we, you know, when we're done biking, we sit down, have a uh, coffee or tea or whatever. And I was telling them about anti-diet approaches and how we don't say someone who is obese or overweight anymore. And that's, and they're looking at me like I had three heads <laughs> and they're like, mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. what do you say? What do you say? And, and you know, I was talking to them and, and they just don't really understand that, especially as guys, because we're sometimes we seem to be a little bit black and white about things. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that falls into that, that role of what it means to be a man, so to speak. And, mm-hmm. um, so talk to me a little bit about uh, that straddling of that paradigm there, because I did that too. And boy, that sucked. And I too felt yeah. like I did more damage than good. How did then the transition work after that? What did you start doing there? Did you go into private practice? From there, I found a couple part-time jobs. Um, one was at a, a treatment center for adolescents where I was able to you know, teach some nutrition groups and then do some counseling for their eating disorder clients. It wasn't an eating disorder treatment center. It was just a treatment center for substance abuse or mood disorders, things like mm-hmm. that. And cause I wanted to focus on my private practice more. I wanted to have mm-hmm. at least a big chunk of my time available to growing my private practice. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And from there, I found another couple jobs at, at, at actual eating disorder treatment centers to gain some more experience. Uh, and it, it sort of has led me to, you know, where I worked out center for discovery. So I had still work, you know, at a treatment center, some hours of my week, and then also some hours, um, in my private practice and the, you know, leaving the VA and sort of starting to be more independent, I guess, for the lack of a better word, uh, was about me just trying to work in congruence with my ethic and, and really mm-hmm. start, you know, spending my day not having to push up against this uh, diet culture mm-hmm. hog of society every minute of every day. Like I want to be in a place where this is 
sort of, you know, especially as I think about my private practice or even in the eating disorder world that understands this a little bit more, that is more aligned with how I think we should talk about food and bodies. And instead of feeling just like, uh, like I can't be authentic, right? I can't show up authentically in my work in, in these spaces. And I just wasn't able to do that anymore at the VA. Just be, again, just because of how I was evolving as a, nothing against the VA. It was just how I was evolving as a professional. Yeah. Uh, it makes me wonder how did you then uh, straddle that and how do you, how do you straddle that now? I mean, I know with the work that I do, mm-hmm. but I like to see what your perspective is because it is very, very challenging to tell someone, hey, I'm not going to focus on you losing weight. That's not my area mm-hmm. of interest. I want you to feel healthy. I want you to feel comfortable. I want you to feel um, um, good and mm-hmm. and to a place where it, weight is not the center of, of this how did that transformation occur with you and then maybe with the people mm. that you were working with? Uh, well, the transformation took a long time. Yeah. And so part of the reason I think it's important to highlight these stories of us as professionals transitioning is because th- there's there's more of us today than there were, you know, six years ago. Yeah, for sure. no kidding. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. <laughs> there, but we need still more folks to make that transition. And so it's important, like my transition took, I don't know, I would say, or my, I don't know, my unlearning, I'm going to call it unlearning. Good, good. Um, good. Really, really took, you know, a few years. Um, And what, what I'm really appreciative of is I had people who could allow me to fumble and make mistakes and question and figure out how to do this. And it, it took that much time for me to be able to exactly what you just ordered, to have a conversation with a client where I can explain health at every size and intuitive eating and body trust in a way that is, uh, allows for nuance that is not a soundbite, right. But for me to feel firm in my, in my belief to be able to explain it to someone and and allow for their unlearning. And I don't think I could do that really well for a few years. It took a long time for me to sit solidly in my space mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so that, I think that was an important transition. And I think as, as more folk, especially professionals hear about this and can hear not just how, how beneficial it is for our clients, Mm-hmm. Right. Not just that, but I think to hear like, I probably would not have been a dietitian for many more years mm-hmm. if it wasn't for this approach. Yeah. Yeah. Cause right? the, the whole weight centric, I mean, it would have burned you. It would have yeah. burned us. So yeah. for me, like, I feel like the work I do now is so much more meaningful and authentic and fulfilling. And, like, and fulfilling that I will do this for years. Yeah. Like I just, I love it. And, and, and that, that wouldn't have happened before. So I, I want people to make the transition. I want both uh, lay people in the community, right. To find more dietitians that work like, like this. And I want more dietitians to know that this is actually how, well, 
this is the way to work, right? I think this, I think this is the way that is going to resonate more with your clients and you're going to also find more fulfillment in it. I, I agree with you so much. I mean, 100% and beyond. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, or tell you about an interview that I did on another show somewhere mm-hmm. else. I'm not going to say who it is because he actually didn't do the show. He asked me a question. He said, oh, so well, what What do you tell people that want to try to lose weight? And I, well, you know, I tried to tell him, well, it's not about that. It's about where they are in their lives and understanding that weight is not the most important thing that's affecting them and, and you know, so on and so forth. And I was describing as much as I could. And he said, well, what would you tell a 400 pound person? And I said to him, well, that's a really good question. Um, but I don't know if a 400 pound person is going to appreciate that I tell him or her more what to do to lose weight. I don't think quite honestly, or maybe I should say it this way. I think that that person's probably heard that until they've been blue in the face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, like, no, duh, they've heard that a thousand times before. Well, how good has it done them? And, and he, he just, he didn't really go with it. Yeah. And part of the reason that I found out was, you know, he also had a lot of weight concerns himself and he yeah. had lost a lot of weight and he was scared to death about um, his weight and stuff, which I thought was ugh, incredibly I, difficult. I, I love that story so much. And uh, if I were in that moment, I, I probably would have said my answer would be the exact same. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to change my answer yeah. to that question based on someone's body size. That's right. where my own fat phobia shows up. And one of the things that I, again, I love about this work is validating that our bodies show up in the room, right? even virtually, right? But like my body size is a thing, you know? And, and yes, I've been in different size bodies throughout my life and I live in a fat body. I identify as fat. Uh, and, and I know that that, can be an issue for my clients. Right. So I just talk about it. Like I just say like, listen, this is where we get to sort of embrace the uncomfortable conversations of weight stigma and fat phobia because they're playing into all of the food, uh, all of your relationships with food. I'm, I'm so, it's amazing that you're saying that because I, it reminds me of, uh, of an interview that I heard with Eckhart Tolle. You know who he is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Eckhart Tolle has written the book, uh, um, Gosh, the Earth Awakening and uh, the Now, I think it's called. I forget. Mm-hmm. I've read both books. I can't remember the titles. The point is, is that he said something that was really interesting. He said that um, when you have come to a place of enlightenment and awareness and um, truthfulness and presence, that you will understand that when a person is saying something ugly to you, that they're coming from that same place that you might have been. That pain, Mm -hmm. that hurt, that discomfort, and um, being able to recognize that in you Mm -hmm. is going to make you be able to recognize that in others. So I, I, you know, when you're saying that, I'm like, oh yeah, I would have said the same exact thing. You know, it's really important to understand that uh, when a person shows up in a room in a fat body, it's, that's just the body that they're in. It doesn't really say anything about their character, their personality, their self-worth at all. 
which is incredibly interesting. I want to get to something else that you mentioned a yeah. little while ago. Uh, you're a certified body trust uh, coach. Uh, provider. Provider. Thanks. Talk to me a little bit about that. What is that? Yeah. How did you get that? What do you do with that? Yeah. Uh, so body trust is a certification that is provided from Be Nourished, and they're a uh, business in Portland, Oregon, Hillary Canavy and Dana Sturdivant. And it is a certification I did a few years back now. And to me, what it was, how, why it was so important is it definitely has elements of health at every size. It has elements of intuitive eating. And what it brought in was a lot of social justice and weight stigma lenses into this work. And it allowed for some deeper sort of understanding of systems of oppression, how it affects people, uh, understanding how to like, yeah, the, the benefits of community and coming home to the fact that our body has wisdom and, 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 and that tapping into that wisdom and reconnecting with that wisdom is, is, is part of our healing and how much diet culture and fat phobia have taken it away from us. Can you talk a little bit about Be Nourished? Because I love those girls. <laughs> yeah. It's a great uh, organization. Yeah. No, um, I mean, I can't say enough about them. Like, yeah. I just tell them all the time. Like, yeah. this, again, it was a meaningful piece of work for me to, again, continue and advance my career. Um, I feel like uh, for, for whether you're a clinician or a, or, a, or just a, a, a person, a client, a layperson, mm -hmm. uh, their, co their course, No More Waiting, mm -hmm. W-E-I-G-H-T, mm -hmm. I-N-G, mm -hmm. um, is Not great. W-A-I-T, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's a really awesome course for a lot of folks to be able to develop some of this language. Um, and so, you know, what's interesting about them too, at least from my perspective, is it showed me also that you can you can also pay your bills uh, by in, by using this approach, right? It, it, you're not going to be um, like no one. It's not like no one's going to come to your office, right? But like right. people want to hear this, um, and and there's there's this there is a need for it, right? You mm -hmm. can uh, you can develop things around it, right? You can make a a, a, a successful thriving. Uh, business, but but also, you could do it and not have to fit into the traditional paradigm of what everyone in our profession, right? Growing up, growing um, or becoming a dietitian in school, in my internship, it was like according to the our professional organization, there was like three main avenues of work, right? You're going to be an administrator. You're going to sort of be in the community or you're going to work probably in hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, like, I was like, Oh, those seem like the only options. <laughs> and, and, and if you're going to be a, an entrepreneur, you're probably going to be within diet culture. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. to me, it was a really important experience to see, Oh, here's a dietitian, Dana Sturdivant, mm -hmm. who's, you know, really like influenced by motivational interviewing, mm -hmm. really influenced by all this body trust work. And, mm -hmm. and you can be successful at it. Like it mm -hmm. can, you can do stuff with it. And here's sort of like a model of what it looks like. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, not, it wasn't just the framework. I think it was sort of mentorship 
that was really helpful for me as well. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you said something big here about the body has wisdom and we need to tap into or reconnect yeah. to that. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about what that means. Yeah. Well, I'll often say this to my clients is, uh, there, and this is body trust language, right? Is that there's wisdom in our coping. Mm, that's nice. Right? Mm. And, and, you know, we have, even if, even if we're active in our eating disorder, or orthorexia or whatever it is. If we can think about those words, right? And as we start, sort of start to heal, instead of blaming ourselves, right? People, the folks I work with often say, well, I did this to myself. Like I, this is all my fault. And, and I'm like, well, maybe what you were doing back then helped you survive, like helped you get through something really hard, deal with trauma, deal with um, you know, food insecurity, whatever it is. Right. But it, it was there for a reason. And by understanding that our body has wisdom in our coping, I think it opens the door for self-compassion and saying like, oh. you know, and self-compassion opens the door for acceptance. And, and so it's like that, not, it's that sort of, okay, my body is shown up for me. I might not like the way it looks, Right, or might not be comfortable with how it looks, or the shape of it, whatever. But it still shows up for me, mm -hmm. and it's shown up for me in how I've coped with things, how I manage things. But it's shown up for me, and it's still going to show up for me. So, like, how can I use that as a base? That's beautiful because one of the my favorite books has been The Happiness Trap, which is mm -hmm. all about ACT, acceptance, commitment therapy, mm -hmm. or treatment. And uh, it's such a very important aspect of that self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. So for you to say that self-compassion opens the door to self-acceptance is brilliant. It absolutely is brilliant. But it comes through the wisdom of our experiences if mm -hmm. we're allowed to pay attention or if we allow ourselves right. to pay attention to all this. Is that right. where you're going, right? Yeah. I mean, because yeah. if we spend our lives blaming our body. Yeah as the problem. Right. Like, yeah, well, yeah, that's the narrative that diet culture wants us to believe. Right. Right. And you know, I, it's so funny. The other thing was when I was straddling the worlds of weight centric versus, um, uh, weight inclusivity, I, I'm getting tongue tied. I still do it now. Right. Yeah. When I was straddling those worlds with clients, one of the things that would often happen is that I would excuse why they gave, why they gained weight over time, why a client gained weight. Well, you did this and you did that and this happened. And it puts so much of the blame of something that mm -hmm. isn't to be blamed. Someone's weight isn't a blame. It isn't a guilt. Right. It isn't a shame. It isn't a, a negative thing. And now I'm very conscious of not saying, hey, you did this because, or this happened because as much as this is what you are now, regardless yeah. of what body you're in, your mind is much more vast than that. The human being is much more vast than that. And I, I think I'm hearing you say a lot of that. Is that correct? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah. And I think, and I right. think the, way I, the way I would add to that just the, the one sentence is, and there's going to be a lot of forces in this world that tell you it's not okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and, and how hard it is to, to sit in that acceptance when you're constantly bombarded with messages that, <laughs> that it's not, that it's not okay. 
Right. Right. Like it makes that acceptance piece so hard. Oh yeah, it absolutely does. And not only that, all the messages that you might be getting from family, friends, exactly. doctors, and yeah. you know, and we don't we don't realize that a person's health is so much more determined by so many other factors in life, yep. not just a person's weight or not yeah. even a person's weight in many cases. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna back up though. Yeah. I want I'm sorry that I, I transitioned like this because I, I keep thinking, oh man, I need to bring this up. I want to talk about this. So but we had mentioned a little bit about the work that you did at the VA and you had more men. I want to go back yeah. to that because the conversation that we're having with body trust is important, but your work with body trust with men, how does it differ from working with women? And of course, in this regard, I'm really just going to uh, focus in on the um, heterosexual cis male identity. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate you name that, right? Because I think as I hop on podcasts and talk about, they also I'll always want to ask about like, what's the male experience with body image? I was like, <laughs> well, uh, that's like the that's biggest a- question you could ever ask. And I can't answer yeah, all of it. I can right. answer from my perspective. Yeah. And and what I tell folks is we need like so many different folks to talk about all the different identities right. and experiences of male body image. So right. but right. going back. Yeah. Um it's sort of like my my answer to the to the dude that was gonna be that you're whose podcast you're on is it's not different. Um I think it, it's it's I maybe bring in some nuances and I think the nuances I bring in are masculinity, hmm. right? Like the, the ideas of, of what it means to be masculine in the society as a form of oppression, but that's patriarchal also. So I will discuss patriarchy with all of my clients and patriarchy can negatively impact, uh, cis women and cis men. Right. Uh, I, I find that the, the conversation needs a little bit more explanation or exploration actually around self-compassion. And I think because of masculinity, I think folks sometimes see self-compassion as giving up or throwing in the towel or an excuse. And, and I think that has a lot to do with the, the upbringing we've received around being okay to fail you know, and, and not being allowed to fail and the pressure we have to be perfect and get everything right and to fix it and to excel. And again, so Hillary and Dana and, and our, I remember one of our first things we did in our sort of training was talking about doing C-level work mm. and get a C in this, right? You don't mm-hmm. need that. We're going to expect you to get a C, not an A. And, and I say that all the time to my clients because it makes space for self-compassion and so I find that there's a little more, a little more sort of again curiosity, exploration around self-compassion and trouble with uh, letting that in for for individuals. But I want to I, I want to be as consistent in my messaging, no matter who I'm working with, right? And just naming here are the forces that are fighting against you connecting with these things that are inherently in you. Yeah, that's really good, man. I, I think that that masculinity piece is brilliant because yeah. that it is a form of oppression that we're so subtly indoctrinated into yeah. without us even having a choice in that, You're especially right. especially growing up in a Latin family or mm-hmm. any experience. 
uh, it's even much more pronounced. Like, mijito, te tienes que engordar. You got to get big. Yeah. You got to get heavier. Or, uh, you know, I, I heard this one about uh, on another podcast, and this I thought was brilliant, uh, that a woman is going to, again, we're talking heterosexual, cisgender um, identity. And so the idea here is that a woman, well, this woman was talking about, well, I want a tall man. And the guest on the podcast was saying, well, that's what society has told you. And you've been indoctrinated into that because a tall, strong man exemplifies, no, sorry, uh, amplifies your your smaller, more feminine ideal of what it is to be a woman. And yeah. so that's where that patriarchy and masculinity mm -hmm. is really yeah. infiltrated in our world. And so we look at weight in such a negative way. Um, but then it's so complex because it's like, wait, you want me to get bigger, but then society says I shouldn't get bigger. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, what, what's going on here? I, I don't get yeah. this, you know? Yeah. That, those dichotomy uh, pulls in, in life. So, um, all right. I want to talk about a couple of other things. Uh, you are also um, in LA and of course you are working for Center for Discovery, right? Yep. Talk a little bit about the work that you do there. Yeah. So I'm their senior coordinator of weight inclusive care. Okay. And I've been with them for about uh, four years now, over four years. And my role there is to really work with the entire eating disorder, the program, uh, the everything, right? To help make this space more weight inclusive. Because typically, because eating disorder treatment has traditionally focused on a thin, white, female, cis female body, it's not really accessible to folks who show up in different body sizes. Uh, and again, so we're, so what I'm so thankful for is CFD has seen this as an area of growth and place where they know that they can do better and they're willing to, to do better. And so, uh, so I work alongside Von Darst, who's senior co coordinator of gender affirming care, and we are working on inclusivity issues and working on trying to make our treatment centers um, more of an inclusive space. We And knowing that there's uh, Vaughn and I need a lot more seats at the table to do this, you know, and <laughs> yeah. we're, we're working on it, but, but that's my role. Right. And I really spend a lot. I do supervision for, uh, for, for folks. I do trainings. Uh, I, I work with, uh, paces. I help lead some groups and, and really just look at how, how can we do things, um, better? How can what we do now be more inclusive? Uh, it's a really great opportunity. Um, how does your background inform all of the work that you do? Ooh, uh, loaded in, in, question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Um, I mean, I think in, in so many ways, I think the first off, you know, my, uh, being raised in LA and, and, you know, um, my, the mother side of my family is, is been highly influential. Mm. Um, and they have, you know, my grandparents were, um, activists from early on, uh, very happy to be proud that my 97 year old grandmother who's still alive today is, has an arrest record, uh, for pro for protests in the fifties and sixties. Um, <laughs> my great aunt helped blacklisted writers, uh, type their manuscripts. Um, 
So I have this very strong background of social justice work in some way of standing up against forms of oppression, using privilege uh, to, to do the necessary work of helping change our society for the better. And I think that's informed my work from, that's informed my life from ever since I was, you know, in uh, from a very early age um, and, you know, listening to like Woody Guthrie songs and, and lead belly. Like I was raised on folk music and sixties, you know, protest songs. Uh, so I think that's been a huge influence to me. And I would say the other part of, you know, my, um, the, I would say the later side the, the later influence that I've realized from my dad's side of, of is really understanding that I was, I've been trained from a white normative approach with regards to food and, you know, having more and more conversations with my dad about his experience with food growing up and, and seeing, you know, the, the friends and family in, in Mexico and their relationship with food is seeing how diverse of stories there are around food. And that what I always need to think about is it's not my story right in the office of how I think food should be. It's really doing a much better job, continually doing a better job of listening and knowing that it's not it that again tapping into that wisdom of my clients right and honoring their lived experience their culture and that the recovery needs to fit within that paradigm for it to be meaningful for them it can't be oh well you're gonna have to have oatmeal and this for breakfast well i don't eat freaking oatmeal like that's not in my culture right so like it's sort of like not it's unlearning yeah that i'm the nutrition expert right and saying like this person sitting across from me is the expert in themselves right i'm just here to help them develop that around and and heal some things around food and body i love that you say that because i say that to so many of my clients and i've said that on this show many times before i yeah. may be the expert in nutrition but i'm not the expert of you yeah and i would even say i'm not really that much of an expert in nutrition i me either right <laughs> <laughs> that's flimsy there at best i know right? i know and and so the idea is is that you know i am learning as much with you yeah. as you are or would be learning with me and 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 I, I'm also very careful to say from me instead of from me. I'm also very careful to say with me because I think, yeah. uh, and I, I've said this before too, I, I find myself to be more like the Sherpa climbing up the mountain with mm -hmm. you. And I know my way, but I'm going to learn something about you and I'm going to learn something about me each time I go up. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the guru in the mountain on the top. Right. The, the, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Aron, this has been great. I want to touch on something a little bit different we touched a little bit on it earlier on with your past and, mm -hmm. and being of Latin roots, of course, yeah. like myself, but how would you say that the anti-diet uh, weight inclusive work is happening in the Latino community? What have you seen there and what struggles or challenges are you, you, you think are coming up or are you facing? Yeah. Um, well, well, it's a really good question and I'll, I'm just going to ask, start my answer by saying as a white passing individual in LA, 
my my experience is very different from other folks who have a different skin color. Yeah, that you said that earlier too you know, about your brother. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I just have so much privilege in this world, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and and so one of the things that I I see first is um, there's not there's there's not enough diverse voices talking about this, and I think you know what what is really important in our community as dietitians is to increase some diversity. Right. I, 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 at so many times I speak at like at a, at a university or talk to folks, um, before that, before the internship. Right. And there's like, it's a very diverse crowd. And then by the time we get to internships, it's not. Um, and, and, that, and so the reason I'm sort of mentioning this is because we need, I think representation matters, right. To hear more thin white folks talking about, this is how you should be eating right to people of color is not doing anything helpful. No, I right? agree with and, you. I, and, and so I think it's really important that we understand how this message needs to be um, accessible to all people, right? That it's not one way, mm-hmm. right? But taking into account, right? Like to really understand the culture of, of what it means to be in a larger body, right? And how it's encouraged yet also like frowned upon at the at the same like within the same sentence, right? Like don't eat too much but you're not eating enough. Yeah. Um <laughs> and and realizing I think I think it's really important to realize the role of food insecurity mm. within all of this, right? The socioeconomic function of of how that affects people's relationship with food. Um and, and, you know, it's a message that everyone can, I think folks can resonate with. Right. And I, I just think it needs, there it needs a lot of nuance. Right. And we, and I think by having a stronger, diverse professional population talking about this, I think it makes it land better in the community level ra- rather than just someone who's like, you know, who doesn't understand really talking about it all the time. Right. Saying, here's what you should be doing. Yeah. You bring something up that I think is so important here. And that is we are trained in this thin, white, cis, heterogeneous approach of, uh, ironically, a patriarchal approach to weight and how Mm -hmm. you're supposed to look in society, which is steeped in that social injustice and therefore uh, suppressing people and being more judgmental and then placing the blame of the person's health solely on them. And they're the only ones that are supposed to do it. And and therefore being trained as a Latino in the uh, nutrition world by that kind of mentality, we're then taking that same approach with the same people that we grew up with And that's like what you said a little while ago, that approach bugged me for so many years early on in my profession too. I was like, I can't keep doing this. People are, you know, they come in, they're doing great for a little while. I'd work with my Latino clients and they, oh yeah, I'm going to start eating fruits and vegetables and I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to eat the meat and I'm going to stay away from all of this stuff. And you know, the fat is my doctor's telling me I can't do this. Yeah. 
And I'm like, yeah, 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 you're doing it. And then two weeks later, you don't see them anymore. No. And then you, you feel this like, oh, what, what's going on? What's Well, you know, we didn't grow up with the, the idea yeah. of having, um, you know, fresh fruit and vegetables on a plate. That's not what fresh fruits and vegetables for us, for us were. You know, but, you know, but it's so interesting too. Like I think when, because of that white normative approach, right? We, I'm just going to speak for Mexican food. Yeah. Um, is we tend to think of it as simple and like, and, and sort of like, you know, we think of like El Torito. Yeah. Right. And, and, and yeah. but, but in reality, right. If you look at like Mexican food and, and indigenous food from, from that region, right. It's complex and yeah. it is not simple. It no. is like, it is full of flavor and texture and, and it takes yeah. time and, yes. and it's not easy. Right. It's no. like, you know, if, I mean, people should do, uh, I'm sure people have, right. But it, around diet culture and the metaphor of like mole yeah. um, and like the, 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 or pozole or, or right, anything, yeah. right. Just like, these are, these are foods that take time to create. Right. And that yes. are like, I mean, they're, they're using like, what if Paltrow would flip out? Cause they're using their, you know, it, it, she's going to love it. Cause they're all whole foods, right. They're all like things that like, Oh, these are really cool and hip. Right. <laughs> yeah. But like, this is how people have been cooking in this region for years. Right. 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 Absolutely. Like years and years and years and years. It is a complex um, culinary world out there, right? right? And that's been boiled down into something like bad, like easy, bad, like not good for you, too many carbs, all that bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is again goes back to the reason why we need to have more representation. Yeah, uh, in this space, especially in uh, the Latino or Latinx world, and be able to display a perspective that's more geared to them in particular, yeah. not what we tell them to do. So exactly. Um, I love this. Our own. I mean, I could talk to you forever on some of this stuff. And um, so the other thing that I wanted to bring up is your podcast. Talk to us a little bit about your podcast, what it is and what's going on there. Yeah. It's called dietitians unplugged. And I, I mean, my co-host is Glennis Oysted and she's another dietitian here in LA we met through the VA through our through our work there, and we started a podcast uh, about six years ago now. I think five or six years ago. Uh, we're we're currently not recording any new episodes, but they're all still up on iTunes and Spotify and all the places you get your podcast. And it's really just uh, the I mean the, the title says it all. It's a couple dietitians who turned on the mic, and we wanted to talk about health at every size and intuitive eating. Uh, and body image issues in a, in a sort of a real candid way we've done. Um, I think there are about 80 some episodes and you can listen to them uh, start from the beginning. We've done a great, lots of great interviews with folks from different perspectives and all variety of topics. So I think it's, it's a really great resource for folks who need another voice in the community just to help build some of their own knowledge. Yeah, I've directed so many people and clients to to your podcast. I, I love a lot of the great. You have a lot of great guests on there. Yeah, thanks so um, much. Yeah, and I think, oh man, this is exact. A, a lot of what we covered on the show today yeah. has been covered on your shows as well. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm sort of a broken record. I, I wish <laughs> I, I had a a ton of uh, greatest hits, but I, I probably have like four. Yeah, uh, so it's a lot of the same things. If you've heard me before, I probably say a lot of the same stuff. But well, but you know, quite honestly, you never know when a person listens to your show. Yeah. 
And, right. and you never know. I always tell clients this. It's like, well, I'm going to say this to you now, but I will probably say this to you multiple oh. times yeah. before it finally sticks. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I say, I, I, I tell people uh, yeah. often in session, I feel, I, I know I'm a broken record, but yeah. Yeah. There I go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Roman, this has been great. All right. I want to ask you a question, a fun question that I ask a lot of my guests. Yeah. Um, Tell me if you were stranded on a desert island and this was the last meal you were to have and it could be made for you any way you wanted, what would you have? Mm. Desert island meal. I'm going to break the rule and and pick two here. Okay. Um, (laughs) In in LA, uh, there's a place called the Apple Pan and they make a great burger. Uh, and, and it's got like hickory sauce on it and, and it's, you know, a cheeseburger. It's like, it's great. Um, and wait, wait, what's the name of the place? The apple pan, apple pan. Okay. Yeah. It's like one of those things, you know, if you know, okay. Um, (laughs) and, uh, so I'd have an apple pan burger. Um, I'd also probably have, uh, the chilaquiles my mom used to make, like, Uh. which we, which I now make, right. I actually taught my son to make, um, about two weeks ago um did you yeah that, that's not easy to teach a, a child to make is it well he's 13 he can handle it. he's doing it he's doing all, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah okay <laughs> uh and uh yeah so i, I would have chilaquiles oh nice uh i would have a bandeja paisa which is from colombia and i've mentioned this all the time but uh-huh. uh it's rice with ground uh-huh. beef the beef is really finely ground uh-huh. And then it has chicharron, so pork oh, rind, right? Yeah. And then it has plantains. It yeah. has a fried egg, and it either has a morcilla or some kind of sausage or chorizo uh-huh. as well. And then it has uh, tostones. Nice. <laughs> oh, and black beans, right? Of course. Yeah. Oh man, it was, every time I think about it, I'm like, oh gosh. And that goes to your point about how laborious and how many ingredients are yeah. in a simple plate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Nothing everything's better about with it. a fried egg yeah yeah right everything's better with a fried egg yeah exactly yeah, yeah. uh Aro, man this has been great i really appreciate you no, taking my the time to be here yeah thanks man um i hope that i can have you have uh on the show again another time soon what do you yeah, say you just tell me when okay all right cool man all right i appreciate it yep awesome thank you Aron, for a great podcast interview I really appreciate you coming on the show. I forgot to ask you for your links. So just really quickly, everyone, if you want to find Arone, he can be found at BVMRD, B-Boy, V-Victor, M. Mary, R. Robert, D. David, BVMRD.com. There you can get more information about Arone and get in contact with him. All right. Hope you enjoy that show, everyone. I just want to remind you, you've got to stay tuned for next week's episode when I bring in Abby Griffith, who is from Clarity Fitness. Uh, you're going to love this one. This is just great. Falls right in line with a lot of what we're talking about, weight inclusive, body positive. She is just awesome. So the, stay tuned. Listen in to that. I hope you also enjoyed our special edition last week. I think that that's extremely important for us. All right, folks, I want to just remind you, if you haven't yet already, please remember to subscribe to our show. I'd love for you to drop a review, as you know and heard me say. It really helps us reach more people and get the show out to a lot others that haven't really heard this message. Okay, folks, remember, till next time, chop that diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Hasta luego. Oh, yeah.